welcome to this week's episode of Uncle Dad Talk. That song you just heard was Lemon Disco by Isaac motherfucking Joel. And you can find that song, where Where can you find that song, Mike? You can find that song on Soundstripe.com. Sexier voice, sexier voice. <laughs> you can find that on Soundstripe.com. <laughs> Ooh, I like it. You are, you are right. You would be believing right. Yes, as always, you know, I don't, I'm not going to go in full detail, but you can find it on soundstripe.com. Uh, our beautiful sponsors for all these time. Uh, as always, any song that you want to license on there, license that song, put it in your music video, put it in your porno, whatever you want to do. Have a good time with it. And of course, use that promo code UncleDadTalks10, and that'll save you 10% off your first month subscription. Mike, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? You know, just hanging in there, man. A beautiful day, uh, kind of beautiful, gloomy day here in the Bay Area. I'm pretty excited for our guest, if you will. It's kind of, it's kind of shaking me to my core right now that we have this person on our show. Yeah, it's it's exciting. Um, I have a lot of questions for him, um, but I'm also just thrilled that we get to talk to this guy. It feels like a Christmas treat or something. I don't know. Some... A little, a little bit. I mean, yeah. It's a pretty big thing. I guess I'll go ahead and kind of introduce this character so we can just go in the character, introduce this person <laughs> uh, so we can just go straight into the interview. But basically, uh, we have the creator and the inspiration of the popular Hulu original series, Woke. That is legendary cartoonist Keith Knight. That's right. Yeah. Mike, do you have anything to add to that before we kind of kick the show off? Yeah, I mean Keith, uh he's a he's a convention comic convention vet and someone I've looked up to as an artist doing conventions for many years and he's he's got syndicated uh comic strips and several books out and and he's just an all-around awesome dude. Yeah, I, I'm excited to talk to him on here. And so what people don't know is when you watch that TV show, whoa, there's a character in it played by Blake Anderson. That's actually portrayed that's actually my yeah, right. That's that's actually based on Mike. No, <laughs> you guys don't true. you guys don't see it, but I'm putting air quotes. That, that is not true. Well, you can bring, <laughs> why don't you bring that up to Keith a little later? <laughs> oh, I will, I will, <laughs> because uh, I am very curious about that. Yeah, no, it's pretty exciting to have somebody of his stature on our show, and but you, know, but you know what though, Mike, we always have somebody of his stature on our show. You, yeah, yeah. my <laughs> I mean, show for Hulu is still in the works. <laughs> it's it's got a long way to go, but it's. It's not even going to be on Hulu. It's going to be on Cubi. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Exactly. <laughs> it's going to be on Crackle. <laughs> I've heard of Crackle. But before we get into that, before we kind of hand it over to that to uh, the show, uh, let's kind of quickly just throw some shit out there, pay some bills real fast. I want to get everything done out the way so we can kind of really get in our show. So as always, multiversecomicbox.com is going to be the place to go to get your mystery comic box and the best part right now to do that is because it's christmas and if you and let's be honest if you have a comic book fan you should buy them a, a mystery box would you agree with that you should buy me one <laughs> i have one here for you oh <laughs> yeah i will i will uh, i took all the good stuff out already but <laughs> I'm sure you did yes yes uncle dad dips that's what we're gonna call it <laughs> but yeah multiversecomicbox.com is a great place uh really i think for the uh the gifts giving season and who doesn't want like a surprise and you can get a cgc comic in there you can get it for anything that fits your budget it's all in there and the best part is mike you know that our listeners should know. don't know this you get 10 percent off your first month subscription but using promo code uncle dad 10 
and it's 10% off your first month. That's pretty good if you ask me. Okay. Now, Mike, we want to plug your show real quick. Your show. I'm sorry, not your show. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yes. getting too excited about that. <laughs> uh, let's go ahead and plug your uh, – actually, you know what? No, fuck that. we got a commercial for that. Baby Gabe, commercial right now. We'll come back from the break, and then we'll have start our conversation with the wonderful Keith Knight. Looking for some holiday gifts and want to buy local? Go to MikeHamptonArt.com and buy something for myself. And this month only, save 10% by using Uncle Dad Talks 10 at checkout. That's Uncle Dad Talks 10 and save 10% at MikeHamptonArt.com. Hey, uh, welcome back uh, from that little break there. Uh, we are with our guest, uh, the impeccable, the, award, the award-winning, the beautiful, the inspiring, the one and only Keith Knight. Keith Knight, how are you? I am uh, doing all right, doing all right, yes. Now that I'm an award-winning, uh, well, I was award-winning before the latest award, so I guess it's, it's not that much different. But I'm a TV award winner, that's it. That's the, the biggest thing. So. All right. Mike, I'm going to let Mike kind of run the show today. Uh, Mike is going to be Uncle Dad today. I'm going to kind of chime in here and there. So, Mike, let's see how good you do. Don't fuck it up. You only get one shot. <laughs> <laughs> do my best. I do my best. <laughs> yeah, Keith. So, yeah, once again, thanks for coming on, man. It's uh, It's been a while since we've got to see each other in the, in person, obviously, since yeah. – uh, Probably last last San Diego Con, right? Last year. Was I at the last one? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I, it's such a blur, man. It feels like it's been so long, and it's yeah, it's it's this is all so weird, man. Yeah, it is. <laughs> COVID. Yeah, I know. It's like uh, I, I'm guessing you probably had a, a bunch of like me how your year lined up of conventions and and appearances or whatever that you were going to be doing and obviously one by one cancel 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 right and so yeah yeah and, and you know san diego was going to be the big push for the show so we were looking forward to to doing it and um so that was a shame once we heard that was going down it's just like oh you know i, I just it was just a double-edged sword because the fact that the show the fact that everybody was stuck inside like is kind of like Oh, well, they can do nothing except watch TV. So that sort of helped. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in a way, it kind of helped. Uh, you had a real captive audience. That, yeah. You know, because yeah. <laughs> everyone's a binging show after show, I'm sure. I know I did a few, including yours, when it came. So let me ask you uh, I always see you at the same spot at San Diego Comic Con in small press, just a couple rows over from me. And were you going to be in that same table promoting woke this year? It hadn't happened. <laughs> I I have I have no idea. I don't know how it was going to happen, but mm-hmm. you know, I assume now it's going to be a bit different. Where I'll be at some, I'm sure Disney. You know, Hulu's owned by Disney, so mm-hmm. I'm sure the next time around, it's just going to be will be part of either the Hulu section or the Disney section or whatever. So. Yeah, I mean, if I don't have to pay for a booth, then I won't. Right. <laughs> like, that's, you know, yeah. why not? Why I not? Oh, I mean, it's expensive enough to go to that convention as it is, let alone paying for a booth just to, 
you got to sell a bunch of merch just to cover the booth and then hopefully make a profit after you pay for your meals and your drinks and your exactly exactly crazy stuff that you may or may not buy there yeah i was looking forward to uh going on somebody else's dime um yeah that's even with uh, like i've always been a cheap slob right? <laughs> <laughs> right and um you just you just never you never lose that so you know it's like i was looking forward to the whatever any free table selling merch without having to pay for everything like you said free hotel you know uh, on the set you know for all the props and stuff they use they, they used all the stuff that i really used to draw and i took all that i stole all that off the set yeah. <laughs> just, uh, all that stuff it was uh, kind of fun <laughs> yeah and i also would imagine that uh that area would be just you probably because you already have a loyal fan base that comes to see you at a lot of the shows. Uh, I always walk by and see. You know, I want to say hi, but you've got two or three people, you know, that you're con- conversating with, and so I don't want to bother you. But I would just imagine that would probably be multiplied by a bunch of people in that small area, uh, anyway. So I was curious as to, you know, where you'd be post woke airing on the convention floor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, where we were was actually a good spot cuz it's right on the end there, so like it can be it's it's not really blocking anybody else's table. We were like right there on the corner. So it wouldn't be such a bad place to be, but um yeah, I'm I'd be at the mercy of who whoever had me show up there. Um Yeah. And uh yeah. I, I don't, I don't mind it. <laughs> it's, yeah, but I look for, I, I, you know, the one thing I miss out of all of this stuff is we haven't had a chance to screen it in front of an audience, you know, just like, um, I would love to sit, you know, go to San Francisco and sit in a theater and watch a couple of episodes and then play a show, you know? Um, yeah. so I, I really miss that. And I'm, I hope we get to do it at some point. Yeah, I, especially with the with the episode where you have this kind of this San Francisco Comic Con taking place there, yeah. which you know is I know just kind of like a generic con for for like a mix of maybe maybe all the cons that used to be there, right? Yeah, yeah, you know it was sort of loosely based on sort of like you know WonderCon used to be there. Um, mm-hmm. It was more of a mainstream con and less of a of an ape type of con, but. Yeah, it was. It's funny because it, you know, you you come up with a name like Golden Con, and then so like the Sony lawyers have to search everything to make sure there's no Golden Con out there, you know? Sure, right, right. And um, and then they're like, oh, okay, we need we need some names to put on the advertisement. What 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 names? And you know, I just like we have to get the okay for people. So I had to look. I I just looked at my phone and it was just like, okay, who? Whose whose number do I have right now? So it was like, oh, Lonnie Millsap and uh, Matt Boers and Steve Notley. You know, I called them quick, and um, you know, uh, so that's why you see their stuff in there because they were at the top. They were the the quickest people I could, oh. I could get a hold of, and uh, and to get to oh, the the okay because everything was so run and gun, and um, and we didn't have much time to do anything. So I, I'm looking forward to the second season to sort of. You know, we know it works now. We know what works, and we're going to take our time a little bit and and 
rectify some of the stuff, make it go a, a bit smoother than than the first time around. Sure. So I just want to interject real quickly. Uh, we should probably give a quick little background to what woke is, Mike. <laughs> yeah, that's well. true. That's yeah, true. I, Mike. I, keep, I keep wanting to like say something, but then I get a, I, I'm so intrigued by all these so, other things we're so talking about. Yeah, that's why it's not called a Mike show because I got to yeah. control it. <laughs> but Keith, can you describe it to us if you don't mind? Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, I'll describe everything that I do. Okay, I am <laughs> gentleman cartoonist. I am the old man at the con. I've been doing the K Chronicles for officially probably 28 years. It's been a long time. So my my autobiographical uh, multi-panel, and I do a couple of those strips, Think and The Nightlife. And um, yeah, I was tapped by Hulu to develop a show based on my life in San Francisco and my cartoons. And it's called Woke, and it dropped uh, this past year during the pandemic. And enough people watched it to, to garner a second season and a Rose d'Or award, uh, which I had never heard of until we got nominated. What, what, what's it called? Rose de, Rose d'Or, which is the Golden Rose, and uh, it's the European Broadcast Union's like Emmy. It's like the European Emmy Awards. Oh, okay, so, nice. Yeah. Oh. Well, yeah. congratulations. Yeah, and. Um, What's what's nice about them is they don't they nominate comedies they nominate all television stuff from all over the world so we were up against shows from from Turkey and Japan and Britain usually wins a Fleabag one like I think last year or the year before so it's nice to be in that category where you know a Fleabag wins so we won and psyched about that. Wow, that's that's awesome. Um, can you say who plays you? Uh, yeah, and the show, it's uh, Lamorne Morris, who uh, people know him from the series New Girl. And yes. and also, he's he's been in uh, Game Night. He's been in a, uh, a lot of, what was that recent one with uh, Vin Diesel? Um, Bloodshot. And he's, he's a Bloodshot? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and here's the thing. He's generally the best thing in anything that he's in, yeah. but he never gets to be the lead. So right. it's really great to see him lead a show and just totally knock it out of the ballpark. You know, yeah, he, he is incredible in that show. If, if you haven't seen it yet, I can't tell you enough to go watch it because there's some there's just certain like performances he gives that are just so good. Yeah. And it's like, man, I, and I didn't even, not that I think he was a bad actor, but I didn't think that, I guess I didn't see that from him, give that kind of delivery on some of his performances. And some of them are just so spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he just never had the opportunity to do it. And I think because of this, he's going to get so many more offers. And it's Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Can you, can you also introduce us to the, his two best, yeah, sure. Uh, um, in the show, Keith is rooming. It's almost like a prequel to uh, the Nightlife comic strip. Um, we take two of the characters from the Nightlife, Gunther and Clovis, and and we make them Keith's roommates in San Francisco. And so Gunther is played by Blake Anderson from Workaholics, and then yes. Clovis is played by T-Murph, comedian T-Murph, and that's his first role. And he's he he knocks it out of the ball. They all they're all great. And uh, rounding out the cast is uh, Sashir Zamata and um, Rose McIver, and they're all 
they were all just amazing and fun to work with. And so, so can I quickly ask you a question real quickly on, on Gunther? <laughs> is Gunther on any 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 aspect at all? Is that based on Mike at all? <laughs> you know, he, Gunther is based on he's a, an amalgamation of different people, but um, you know, the first Gunther strip I did. Um, there was this guy that was staying at my youth hostel in San Francisco, and he was just a he was just a spaced out stoner, and um, he would always come down and ask me like, "Hey man, hey man, do you wanna do you wanna um, you know do you wanna smoke? Do you wanna smoke?" And I'm like, "No, no, no." And so um, uh, after work, I saw him, and I said, "Hey man, do you wanna get high?" And he's like, "He's like, yeah, man, yeah." So. I took him over to the St. Francis Hotel because it has an elevator that goes up 32 mm-hmm. flights and it ends up going outside, right? So he goes in there, we go in there and we're going up and and then he, like we end up outside and he freaks out. He like, <laughs> he runs up against the back of the wall and he's like, what are you doing, man? And I, <laughs> I, I, I said, what's wrong? He goes... I'm acrophobic. I think it's it's the is acrophobic the thing about heights. I, I think don't know. I, he, he he basically had a fear of heights, and so he was totally freaked out. And I was trying to stop it. <laughs> it just kept on going up and up and up, and he was freaking out. And we finally got it to go back down. And uh, and he's like, "What'd you do that for, man?" And I was like, "I said, you know, you wanted to get high, like, <laughs> like you know." So I said. High in the sky, like up in the elevator, and uh, and he's like, so, so there there isn't any pot. Just <laughs> totally spaced out, and um, I just thought, man, this guy's a great character. So, um, <laughs> so that's how I I really that was like the first version of Gunther. So and, I, I the reason why I brought that up is because uh, Mike has a tendency to say this line. Mike, can you go ahead and say it? <laughs> Well, yeah, uh, the year of our Lord. Um, <laughs> he says, he says that a lot, and then uh, Gunther had said that, and my mind was like, "Oh my God!" Oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> but clearly, Mike, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely not me. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I do have hair similar to that for a certain point. <laughs> yeah, of my I life. remember that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, Blake is, you know, it's it's not hard. For, for Blake to play the California stone stoner, so and it's um, it's so funny because out of everybody, Gunther was I think the toughest to cast, and we had a bunch of people that came in and they, you know, there were some aspects about them that were really cool, but other aspects about them that were creepy. <laughs> they were either like really old dudes, like really weird, <laughs> or just like people who were just oh, too over the top. And, um, you know, with Blake, you just have to look. He doesn't have to try. He just looks at him. You look at him, and you're like, uh, yeah, okay. And when we heard he was interested in the part, we were like, oh, Blake Anderson's interested? We were like, that's amazing, but we'll never get him. And so we just kept on looking for more people. And then our producer said it again. He's like, no, I think he's really interested. And I was like, that's amazing. We're never going to get him. And we just kept on looking, but uh, it finally came through, and uh, it was perfect. It was great. Now, do you 
I know there's 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 a group of people, right? But but how much input do you specifically get to have on on who casts, like the guy who plays you, or like these other characters? I I was in the room uh, during all the auditions, um, and if I wasn't there, I you know they would send me everything. Like I had a lot to do with a lot of like costumes, sets, uh, locations. Um, really like music I was in the writer's room and I like um I think you know people a lot of cartoonists are like wow you it really looks like your work is all through it and it's because I was all in and um and it was great like and it's one of those things where Hulu was really great in the sense that they said, like, you have a very unique voice and we want to make sure, like, that was the priority to them was to make sure that my sensibility shone through throughout the show. And so they, I mean, I, I, I got to give them credit because so many other people who've been through the Hollywood grind, it's like, how did you manage to, like, even the writing, like, even the, the you know, when it opens, they actually use my font, they use my font, mm-hmm. and, like, so many things, and they said, like, that never happens, how, how did you manage to keep all that, and it's because I was all, I, I, here's my philosophy, was, like, I heard so many horror stories about people selling their stuff to Hollywood, and then, and then they have nothing to do with it, right? They walk away and then the thing comes out and it's a mess. And they're just like, people are like, what happened? It's like, I don't know, they just took it and they destroyed it. And I was like, yeah. I was like, if, they, if Hollywood's gonna destroy my stuff, I wanna be right there seeing it happen. So I know, like, I know where it all went wrong. So right. I just made sure that I was there the whole time. And believe me, there were like, there were times where things weren't going as well as, as I had hoped. And, and, but we, you know, we worked through it. Like it's, it's always ups and downs. There's all possibilities, you know, at one point I, you know, I was hoping that we'd shoot in San Francisco. I was like, there's no way, like if we shoot it anywhere else, it's not going to work. And then we, we, you know, we did it in Vancouver because San Francisco was way too expensive, but you know, for what it's worth, Vancouver did the job, you know, we shot it in Chinatown, which, you know, it looked like the inner Richmond in San Francisco. So uh, it, it worked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. It's almost like kind of part of what's happening in the show, right? That, that they're taking Keefe's uh, characters and, and wanting to, you know, make them this bigger thing. But obviously, it, as they do that, it kind of changes the, the makeup of who the characters actually are, right? And, and the message and everything behind it. Yeah. yeah 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 i mean it, it was it's it's part of that right like it, mm-hmm. it's part of that that thing where you know what happens when your stuff gets commodified or, or you know the syndicate wants to take it and make it this big thing and it it, it, it is about sort of the the choice that one has about like saying something with the work or just making work that i mean there's there's an argument to be made about making art that is just 
escapist, you know, that I don't want to deal with all the stuff. Like, it, it, I think that's just as important. You've got to take some time to get away from it. You can't be in it all the time. So, um, you know, that's part of the argument. Um, and what's interesting is we shot this series in February of 2020. So we had no idea <laughs> what was going to come in the summer. So, mm. um, um, so it's interesting when people sit there and go, oh, all the police brutality stuff and all that. Like, um, how did you know? How did you know? And I just say, we didn't know. It's just like, it's, you know, racism and police brutality, all that stuff is evergreen. It's like, it's always on time, you know? So we had no idea, but I'm so psyched to have this second opportunity to address everything that went on over the summer. We're not going to, I don't think we're going to do it straight directly, but we're going to do it in a way that you'll know it's post George Floyd. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's interesting. Cause I, I was, you know, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was when, when did you guys start actually filming, assuming that it was after a lot of what happened, but then I was wondering, well, COVID, I don't know if they could have filmed. So yeah, yeah. You know, with, with all that, but it, it's interesting cause there were people out there who were like, you know, in reviews, they're like, obviously, there's some things they were like, oh, they must have added, you know, there's someone on a bus with a, a face mask on and someone refers to COVID in it. And um, they said, oh, they must have added that after George Floyd. We just, we didn't add anything. We just wrote that in, in February. And uh, what was going on is in Vancouver, it's a, it's a, it's, there's a big Asian population there. So I think COVID was talked about a little bit more before it hit the U.S. So, um, you know, but I, I, it was important for me when we were doing the bus. I said, there's always someone on the bus with a mask on. Like, like mm. I just said that we would have had a mask on whether it was COVID or not, because there was all, yeah. there's always people on the bus with masks on. And um, but yeah, we you know, the incident that happened to me with the police is something that happened to me 20 years ago. So it's, it's, it's evergreen. So, I mean, we made the show, so it will be as relevant five years from now as it is today. And um, I, I think right now it's fashionable for people to fly their Black Lives Matter banners, but let's see what real change happens, you know? And yeah. so we're going to push that. Well, it, it's just, it is, it's interesting because it was almost like the perfect storm of, of things happening outside in the outside world for a show like Woke to come on and have the impact that I have. I feel like, I mean, because like you're saying, that stuff is already always happening. It's happening. But again, you had a captive audience. You had everyone sitting at home. No one's working. No one can really do anything except watch videos of what's happening to George Floyd and and kind of rally behind this movement, you know, and then your show comes out. So it, it, it all felt like so congruent with each other. But I don't know. I think maybe some of that is because you are somewhat of a prophet, right? Keith? Like a, <laughs> yeah, marginally. Like marginally, yes. 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 <laughs> and we, we were able to slip some music in there too. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know what? You're a prophet because every question I have here to write to ask you that I wrote down, you are answering before I can even ask you about <laughs> okay. it. So, yeah, about your song, your Marginal Prophet song in the show, did you, I caught it right away and I was like, oh, that's, that's, that's Keith's group. 
how did you get that in there? Did you just, was that part of the negotiation? Like, hey, no, I get a no. song? It's funny because it's because our budget was, we start, we were running out of money. Oh. And I said, <laughs> he said, I know a band you can get. I know some music you can get for cheap. And we literally had to find like one of the Marshall Prophet songs that didn't have samples in it, you know? So, mm. um, and so that was going to be Bohemian Rhapsody. And it's like, that was the second album where we sampled a lot of ourselves. We just had musicians come in and play riffs. And so, um, yeah, it, it worked out well. And what's really great is um, I think Essence did a story on the music and, and they said they're, you know, the first their first favorite needle drop was the marginal profits it's just like <laughs> that's so funny and of course my partner from the marginal profits is like calling me all the time now oh we're gonna get the band back together we're gonna you know, <laughs> yeah gonna, and hey. uh yeah i'm just like dude he's he's like you know we should just film a video for blah 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 and i said man like no one wants to see like two middle-aged men like rapping to something they recorded 20 years before <laughs> you know, just... yeah you're not kidding yeah <laughs> well if you ever need any uh captain a-hole uh rap music i can let you have a track or two to throw in there if you guys are running out of money i'm just <laughs> you know i'm telling you right now mike it's like you know I, I, and I've always enjoyed Captain A Hole. I had a, you know, I don't, I don't know about, I don't know how marketable the name is, unfortunately. Right. <laughs> but it's like, <laughs> but um, it, it's, it's always been funny. It's always been well drawn. And you like, that's what Hollywood wants is intellectual property. I know. That's what I keep telling him. <laughs> Especially now with COVID and like animation is totally blowing up. So there, there are, everybody's looking for content to animate. And I just know that I sold the show because I walked in like every, every meeting I had, I would go in there um, with my 500 page collection from Dark Horse, which was, you know, like is like the size of an old phone book. And every time I'd finish my pitch, I would stand up and I'd chuck the, the 500 page thing out and it would flip and then sl slam down in the middle of the table. And I would go, there's your first 10 seasons. And I would walk out. And on the set in Vermont, when I went out to dinner with the Hulu exec, he says, you know what? He goes, I'll always remember when you pulled out that book and chucked it up in the air and it slammed on the, <laughs> on the thing. He said, that's what sold the show. So, um, just so you know, IP, like everybody's looking for intellectual property. And if you have, uh, you, you just have a lot of material. And the fact that you have both music and, and the comics, it's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. So um, just keep <laughs> so on doing it. So at, uh, Mike always gets mad at me because I'm always writing his ego up. I'm always telling him, like, just it's exactly what you're saying. I'm a, I'm a big believer in Mike like hardcore. And I think Mike, you know, just like you, it's like, he's, I, I tell Mike that I have a five year plan for him, that I, I want his show to be on network television one day because I know that he could do it. His, his stuff is very special. And, uh, you know, I don't know. So I, just you saying that is, I think adds more validation to that. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Mike, I definitely will listen to Keith, not yeah, not you. Uncle Dad, <laughs> not Uncle Dad. <laughs> Thank you, Keith. Well, yes. fuck you guys. <laughs> um, I told you it's the Mike Show, not Uncle Dad. <laughs> so, Keith, your IPs. How long? And, and 
you just say how to say this. How long have you had them as your IP? You know, when you first start doing like K Chronicles, uh, how long before? Like, do you register that as a as a, just a copyrighted character or or a title or like I, how does I, that work? I never I never copyright. Uh, I, I never did any copyright stuff. Um, I will say this that early on I had a publisher, a small publisher that put out my work. And then when I got a deal with um, a development deal with Nickelodeon, my publisher started getting a little wonky saying, well, you know, they need to talk to me first to like have the rights to this or have the rights to that. And I was like, what? And uh, so I did a little research and then I just, you know, I, I had a meeting with them and was like, okay, I want to buy the rights to my stuff like back. And I think it just meant buying all the books that she had of mine. Cause, um, cause she's like, oh, well, I'm, you know, you're not going to have any books if you, you know, like, it was kind of weird. It was just a weird situation, but I, I just, I said, okay. And I just went and went out and, and, and then finally like they capitulated and it was like, okay, you have to buy all your books. So I, I bought the rights back and then, and then, I just never look back. Like every time from then, I was just like, if I ever go into some sort of deal with a publisher, the rights are mine, you know? And um, that changed when I launched the daily strip, the nightlife. And, you know, there was that was syndicated. But we also bought the rights back from the syndicate for those. So I think... Um, the lawyers, my lawyers, Hollywood lawyers, <laughs> negotiated yeah. that. And so we got the rights back to that. So it was all fully mine. But I've been self-publishing books for 10 or 15 years now. Like I don't, and, and, but I'll put out a book, you know, I did the Dark Horse book. I'll do um, Jake the Fake. I do my kids series. I illustrate a kid series with Random House, but for my collections, I just do it myself. So I just have the rights to those. So so when people come and they want to license my work for books or calendars and stuff, they come to me, you know. And and I think that's the best thing you could do is just have your have your stuff uh, and keep the rights to your stuff. And and most places now are understand they understand that it should be the rights of the artists it should be you know the ownership of the artist you know places like image image were the rebels back in the day but i think more and more places are are understanding of like this is your work you know it's and it's hard enough to make it as an artist so that's all we got is our is the stuff we create very very well said very well said yeah so uh, k chronicles and and you you have those books um, I've got one here that I've got from you. It was the Go East Young Fam uh, book. And I was trying to mark the page. What is it? Page 26. And this is a book you put out in 2016. Is you uh, trying to uh, shop the show, right? Up in uh, to the likes of HBO, Fox, and NBC. And, 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 and for those that don't know, K Chronicles is like, and correct me if I'm wrong when I say this, Keith. It's like basically you, a strip of you, right? Yeah, it's it's, it's like it's like my yeah yeah. It's it's almost like my diary, you know. It's a uh, semi autobiographical. Sometimes it's fantasy, 
sometimes it's you know it's whatever's on my mind so it's a combination of autobiographical stories some political stuff some humor straight humor stuff so it's a bunch of different things but yeah yeah this is you know go east young fam chronicles my last my last couple of years in los angeles and my move to north carolina yeah and so would you say that like uh that woke is kind of a combination of of maybe k chronicles think and nightlife like yeah kind yeah. of a little bit of all together it's a little bit of all three and plus my what my life was like in san francisco so you know and people recognize that it's a fantasy san francisco in the show because um, there's a lot like san francisco is so expensive now that three slobs couldn't <laughs> live in an apartment like that now right so <laughs> right <laughs> it's uh so that's kind of um but I mean, it's what I know, and uh, it's um, I think people are sort of nostalgic for that that San Francisco that we remember, and just people enjoy the characters. Like it's just like, yeah, I, I want to hang out with these guys for another season. So like that that's what I love, is you see them. You know, I just remember when we shot the pilot, the first episode. And it was just like, oh yeah, like. You know, I think people will want to hang out with these guys, you know, for a whole season. So it was really nice to see. It's funny you say that. Uh, when I was watching it, I kept thinking, man, I wish I had friends like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but it, yeah, it is a very, uh, you know, nostalgic. Like you, you just, even even Lamorne was saying, he's like, man, he's like, I want to, yeah, I want to take these characters. Like he said he would be happy if we just were just, having the characters walk across town doing stuff you know <laughs> but uh uh it, it, we we want to we want to take some swings at some some bigger issues but um but we won't lose we know that the success of the show has a lot to do with the interactions of all the characters together and and they're going to spend a lot more time together i think and uh it'll be fun well, the dialogue, in my opinion, is incredibly well-written. It's very well-written. It's very smart. It's very quick. Uh, and I think that's a big, like you're saying, it's a, such a huge key to the success of that of that show. The, the writing is just so top-notch. Yeah, it's, you know, there's, I mean, it is really a combination of, so, like, just really good writers. Um, and as a cartoonist, you spend so much time by yourself, right? And so it's nice to be in a situation where you're surrounded by a bunch of creative people and a bunch of funny people. Yeah, like just, it's it's like being in a band, actually. it's It really is like being in a band. And it's great to sit there and go, oh man, it would be great if we had this advertisement for, it's hard to see in the show, but there's an advertisement for a trip to Ghana. And it says, go back to Africa in style. And it's like, go, and, and it, the, the price of the trip is like 16, 19. Like we drop in all these little um, sort of Easter eggs all through it um, of just inside jokes and different things like that. And it's just fun to come up with those ideas and then say it. And then the next day, like the art department comes up with the whole thing, you know, <laughs> it's just, yeah really fun to do that type of stuff yeah i felt uh, a, a really neat easter egg was seeing lonnie's work and you mentioned earlier in the in the show that he just happened to be like on the top of your phone when you sent in a note yeah. to him and i and i saw his 
art in there and and i got really excited and i was like well i see your stuff and woke and he's like yeah man just right place at the right time and <laughs> and and i imagine going back and watching it over and over there's because that's what we do as artists right when and i'm sure you do it in your strips and comics and your books is you put in little little things just to, throughout right yeah and then, yeah and what's great about it is the director of maurice marable is the same way and he he looked through my think books and came up with like these little signs and stuff like and little things that he put in the background of all these different things. Um, it was really cool. And it's just great to be working with somebody who has that sensibility and that sense of visual style. And he came from an advertising background. So he has this whole artistic thing going. I mean, every aspect of it from the promotional posters and the animation. I mean, Mo Maurice, the director, was the one who said, it'd be great if we didn't do 2D animation, but if we used puppetry, if we did puppetry and all that stuff. And I think that was the difference between, he just said he thought that 2D would look really um, just flat and boring and uh so the fact that we did this puppetry just, I think, puts it at a level where people would see it and go, whoa. Like, I just remember when people first saw it, they were just, even the executives at Hulu, they were like, wow, this is really cool. So uh, we were so psyched um, that it went over well. And uh, we're looking forward to having a lot of fun with it in season two. Yeah, so the, the their marker character, who's is brilliantly voiced by J.B. Smoove, which uh, did you did you were you calling for him to to do a voice or was that kind of just the, the studio kind of helped that happen or how'd that happen? Yeah, I, again, it's like the producers would be like, "Hey, you guys, let's come up with ideas of who we want to voice certain things," you know, and um, and so we just throw all these names out there, you know, and it's a it's a combination of who's available. So many planets have to align to get these folks, but you know, once his name came up, like everyone's like, "Oh, yeah, JB Smooth, JB Smooth, yeah," and um, I mean, everybody was uh, Cedric the Entertainer, Cole Buyer. I love Nicole Byers. Good, good catch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cree <laughs> Summer, um, Keith David, Jack McBriar, uh, the two guys from Veep, uh, Tony Hale and Sam Richardson. There were so many good people. And I think a lot of them had no idea what they were, you know, because a lot of that stuff was recorded from their house because of COVID. And so I think a lot of them were like, I have no idea what this is, you know. <laughs> and so I'm sure they were surprised to see it. I know that JB Smoove was like, I just saw him do a show, uh, like a, an interview with the human actors, you know, the one, and, and he was the one animated thing. And I think he was like surprised because like the person asking the questions were gushing about the show and how meaningful it was. And JB Smoove was like kind of surprised at like just how well received it all was uh and he's just like yeah yeah like he's just you really get into it which is really nice you know it's great to see um just act there everybody respond to it in such a positive way yeah and so like the animation that they do on the marker for him you know all the animation kind of like i know you say some of it's puppetry but like do you, is, and, and, and even in the, in the breaks in between where like 
where it's definitely your lettering, like you mentioned, and, and even with the toast and butter, like just to have your art, like you mentioned earlier, part of the show. I mean, it, it's so fun to, to be, you know, a fan of your art and, and, and knowing you for, for the years and actually seeing your art used. What now? What was toast and butter like? Was that developed by you specifically for the show? Because that that wasn't anything I saw in your in your comics. Yeah, right? it, it really it was just to develop for the show. And I was like, what's what's the most milk toast thing I could come up with? And <laughs> and the first idea was toast and butter, right? Like, you know, I came up with it so fast that I was like, okay, that's the first idea. So that's not going to be the best idea. So I started thinking about everything else. But ultimately, I was like you want it to be like this quick nothing idea and like you want it to be and that's why we made them 2d because they're like the flattest things and like so i started creating toast and butter strips just to kind of get into the groove of, of what these characters would be like and that's how we developed the voices and everything and my in my calendar my 2021 calendar has some of the toast and butter strips in it. Yeah, it just sort of came together like that. And I, I, I figured even if the show doesn't work out, I could probably launch a toast and butter strip, syndicate <laughs> a toast and butter strip. Yeah, I was going to ask, is that is that something that fans of yours and people who are fans of the show now who may not have known your work prior have been contacting you or emailing you or hitting you on Facebook or whatever, asking for toast and butter stuff? merchandise everybody's been asking everybody's (laughs) been stickers all different stuff uh yeah dap piece fu like people are looking for those t-shirts like they've been asking for those t-shirts um toast and butter hulu gave us toast and butter hats to celebrate the production and so um i i i I took a bunch of them, like I stole, stole a bunch of them, yeah. and um, I sent them. I sent some to my sister, and her husband uh, came to the set, so they went home with them. And my brother-in-law was wearing it somewhere, and he said, like, some guy was like, "Is that toasted butter? Like, where'd you get that? Where'd you get that?" So, <laughs> so that was kind of cool. Yeah, there were a couple of different things like that. My aunt's co-worker's husband is a psychiatrist and they said that his patients were coming in and telling him about woke about the show and about you know sort of ptsd and and stuff like that so there were all these different things of just people mentioning the show in some way shape or form that made us think that we had something that was gonna gonna do all right you know and also just a couple of sort of insiders who had seen the pilot and they were just like, especially someone, one of the experienced guys was just like, listen, man, you have a hit on your hands. He's like, I've been in this business long enough to know that you have a hit on your hand. It was just great to hear that type of stuff. You know, it's fun. I kind of want to kind of sidetrack a little bit. You know, obviously when you do something like this, it can open up a bunch of doors. Let's say Marvel approaches you to do a uh, some sort of Marvel series. What Marvel series would you want to do if you had the opportunity to be a writer for a Marvel series? You know what? I, I am not. I'm. I'm not a big superhero guy. So okay. Well, any comic book then. How about that? Here's what I and I just suggested this now. Indiana Jones. I, I would do a short round movie, where short round basically leads an international sort of ragtag oceans level uh, oceans. 11 type of combination of people from all over the world who are going 
to Indiana Jones, like to take back all of the stuff Indiana Jones has taken from places around the world and put them in museums. And they're just taking it back. They're taking it all back. It's like basically short round coming to terms with like white exploitation. (laughs) And interesting. Yeah. And, and just like cast like a 20 year old, martial arts star that just like kicks ass in like the 60s man like make it really cool and have it end with him at um and have harrison ford old harrison ford there or whatever (laughs) and 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 short round goes there and goes to take i don't know like he confronts indiana jones and indiana jones at the end is like hey kid and then just chucks his Checks whatever, checks his whip to him <laughs> or checks something to him, you know? And, um, but I think that would be great. I think that would be like, it, it'd be handing off, you know, because Harrison Ford can't do it anymore. And, and this is the other thing that I suggest have Pixar do an animated Indiana Jones. And that way, Harrison Ford can voice it, play it, play it forever. Like, he doesn't have yeah. to pass it on. And just because, like, I don't, we don't want to see old man Indiana Jones. We want to see him. <laughs> just mm-hmm. and and I I've watched enough of these computer animated films now with with kids that like some of the action sequences are really good. Like they're really yeah. and and also the the like the Incredibles scenes yeah. are great. So you can make an amazing Indiana Jones film. I think that both young and old would totally love. It would be really good. So. So then, is it safe for me to say that you are a big Indiana Jones fan? I think it is screwed up. The Indiana, like I like, I loved it when it was I was a kid. But the fact that he's coming and saying it should be in a museum and taking that stuff back, you know, like I'm now, I'm now that dude in um in Black Panther who like <laughs> comes in, you know, <laughs> takes yeah, that yeah. takes that stuff out of the museum and brings it back, like. So, I mean, I think there's a way to sort of do the old Indiana Jones as animated stuff, but do, do short round films now. Do short round films. And it's all about just exploitation of like third world countries and just giving it right back to the man, you know, in a, in a tough way. And, and I'm a big, you know, Star Wars fan. But we're seeing now the Mandalorian is all we need. We don't need two and a half hours of fan service. Right. What I love about The Mandalorian is if it's a bad episode, it's over after 35, 40 minutes. Like, we don't have to sit through two hours of it, you know? And really, all we want to do is live in that world. Like, all I want to do is follow the Jawas around for a day. And and I will say this, like, this season, everyone's loving it, but it's getting redundant to the point where they land somewhere, they shoot up something, and then they leave. I liked when the, the Jawas were taken apart his ship. Like, I want that stuff. I want, like, little things like that. I mean, I hope that there's more stuff like that. It kills me that there's going to have the, the Bill Burr's going to be back, which the worst episode last year was the Bill Burr episode. <laughs> and and it seems like they're bringing him back, which mm-hmm. is this. I'm from Boston, so if I hear a Boston accent in space, I I have a problem with it, you know. <laughs> so that's what can you do? <laughs> but uh, you know, they announced all this stuff. Like Patty Je- yeah. Patty Jenkins is going to be the next Star Wars film, and I, I'm I'm a friend with, of 
of her husband. So like, I mean, Pat, mm. yeah, Patty's really cool and she's really great. And I'm glad that she, she, I mean, she's earned it. And we got to visit the set of Wonder Woman 1984. And so, my, wow. yeah, so we, we came there when they had taken over this mall outside of DC and they changed it into like an eighties mall. So, yeah. so I was like reliving my childhood. I was like, Oh man, this is great. Like record stores, like old school, uh, video games, just stuff like chess King, like all these wild things. Gal Gadot was there in, wow. in uniform. And wow. so the boys, you know, got to straight up meet Wonder Woman and take pictures with them and, and uh, her and um, it was it was really cool. So it's neat that the boys remember it, and now that now they're seeing all the ads for it. So I'm looking forward to them checking it out. I just I just have to ask you really fast. Seeing uh, Gal Gadot in person was that like just fucking mind blowing? <laughs> let's you know, let's just say like my my wife was my wife was like, oh my goodness, she's beautiful, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think honestly, there's probably nobody on the planet as stunning as Gal Gadot. Oh my God. Yeah. Besides, besides, you know, <laughs> I don't want to get nobody in trouble. I'll stop. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it, it was wild to see. And what was great was um, also her stunt woman was there too. Cause she was, her oh, wow. stunt woman was lifting up or, or doing some kind of wacky thing. It, it's, mm. it's just great to, show my kids like all the behind the scenes stuff that was one of the neatest things because we homeschool our kids like we've been doing homeschooling before covid and so part of it is sort of media literacy and about how they do things you know how they edit things how they use music how they use effects and this and that to make you feel a certain way so it's really great to see that type of stuff it's fun for them to be a part of it and my director wants to get my wife and kids in, in season two somehow some way so it'd be cool it's fun it sounds like there's a possibility that you might be on the uh maybe in the writing room for the next star wars huh putting in some <laughs> little little pieces in there little woke pieces in star wars that'd be amazing <laughs> I'm, I'm just telling you like seriously first of all that last rise of skywalker was so terrible it was so bad and the last jedi I, like there's so such simple things you could do to improve it and my problem is is they, they the star wars movies were suffering from marvel marvel movie syndrome which is it makes sense in the marvel movies to service all the characters because that's what a, a comic book does you know they they jump around to different characters but it shouldn't be in a Star Wars movie. And they try to service all the characters in in the Star Wars movies, which drives me crazy. I don't want, like there were simple things that you can do to just improve, instantly improve, at least The Last Jedi. I don't think you could do anything to The Rise of Skywalker. I think think that was just too far, far gone. Do you feel that The Rise of Skywalker, and I guess this could be a whole episode in its own, but I just wanted to kind of throw it out there. Do you feel that in Rise of Skywalker, they made so many characters useless? That's the problem. It was great to introduce these three characters who were, you know, these rebels in the first one. They should have focused on each one, like, separately. So the first one should have been Rey's story. 
The second one. Yeah, exactly. The second yeah. one should have been um, I, Oscar Isaac's story. And I'll tell you this. When he was running around saying, what are we doing? Why, why you know, complaining about what everyone's letting them, why are they still following us or whatever, that slow chase. When Carrie Fisher was blown out of the thing out in space, they should have just showed her eye, like, twitch a little bit. They shouldn't have showed her Mary Poppins her way back to the ship. They should have just, <laughs> they should have just cut when her eye flickered. And then when he's complaining, running around the ship, a door should have opened and Carrie Fisher should have walked in and then force choked him and, and brought him to his knees, right? And, and just hold and going like that. And he's just going, like, doesn't know what's going to happen. And he's like choking. And then out of his mouth should have came a little tracking device, a tracking device that whatever, I don't know if it's, they, they're not called the Empire anymore. But whatever, they placed in him the movie before when they captured him. And that's why they were tr they could find them all the time. And so he realizes wow. that he <laughs> was the reason why they kept on being found. And then he would have came to this realization that all the complaining that he did was, was BS, you know, and he actually learned something. And then, um, is it Finn? Finn should have woke up at the end of that movie and said, where's Ray? Like, and then his story should have been the third, the third story. But this is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> just had a whole rewrite. I know. I'm like closing my eyes. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, here's, here's, the, here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. I, I think that when uh, uh, Ray and um, Adam Driver or whatever, when they were together and they did that big fight, I, I wish he directed whatever it was the lightsaber that went through the whatever the bat that bad guy was what's his name yeah whatever whatever it was snipe yeah snipe snipe sniff so I, I wish I wish that lightsaber went through him and then nothing happened and then he just turns and goes did you think I was real? Like, can't you tell I'm, I'm like a computer image? Like, like he should have, like, mm. it would have been great if he just said like, I mean, it's obvious I'm a computer image. I'm not even here, you know? Like, it would have been a great, like, sort of twist. And I just, there's so many little things that they could have done that um, just makes me cringe. But I had checked out by the, the last film was just like, uh, I, I still want my money back from that one. So. Well, you're you're a deep you're a deep thinker, Keith, and that's why I think we all love you and and you're successful in the ways that you are. Which I want to ask you: Do you think how is it like trying to be the person who is woke and, and always trying to bring that up to people? And like, when is it okay just to just to have fun and just to watch a Star Wars movie or just zone out? Or, or, you know what I mean? And like, I hope you don't think I'm like some woke person <laughs> like no no <laughs> well we just just we just rewrote the last three star wars movies so i obviously don't think <laughs> but like it, it's it's you know part of the reason why we called it woke is because we we rip it apart we you know we we make fun of it like uh, i don't think you could have an earnest like show called woke where it's like all serious and and preachy like that was it was funny because we actually we hired a company to try to come up with a better name, like a different name. 
and we couldn't they couldn't do it like there was nothing better <laughs> so we just went with it and it was like everybody was afraid like we're like oh, i don't know and and we still do have like it, it is a bit of a burden because we do have to like it's important for us to have a diverse crew a diverse like like everything you know it's to try to be <laughs> woke while we shoot woke you know and give people opportunities and stuff but um i i i, I there's no way like if you're by trying to be woke all the time, like trying to do the right, like it's exhausting. It's extremely exhausting. Like, oh, am I? And it can be annoying to some other yeah, people, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, And so there's only so much you could do. And it's just like, otherwise you'll go crazy. I remember living in San Francisco and I saw this one activist. I saw them in a weird part of town. And, and this was when everybody was down on SU, you know, gas guzzling SUVs. And she was stepping out of an SUV and she saw me. She was so embarrassed. And she's like, it's not, it's not what it looks like. And I, I felt so bad that she felt this, you know, like, <laughs> like I was somehow going to think bad of her because she's stepping out of this SUV. Like, I'm, you know, I know she, it wasn't her SUV, you know, and um, just, just that. And, I remember, um, and I don't know, we might get this, uh, maybe I'll work this in in next season, but I remember uh, we played a March on the Prophets show, and these guys came up to us and said, hey, man, we love the show. We're in a band, too. We're playing in town. Here's some free tickets, you know, to check us out. And uh, they were circus tickets. They were the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey. They were part of, of the house band of the circus, right? <laughs> and so... Uh, I was like, oh, wow, like the circus. I have not been to the circus in like, you know, 35 years. Let me let me go and check this out. So I went with my wife. And just as we were going up there, I was going, you know what? Like, I have a feeling I'm going to run into like some people protesting that I know, right? I'm going to run into people I know. And true enough. There were people that I know protesting in front of the circus, and, and they looked at me and they were like, "Hey, Keith Knight, you're here to protest." <laughs> and um, and I, I was like, totally, totally embarrassed. I was like, "Oh no, I'm I'm just I'm going in. I've got free tickets." They <laughs> ah, were free. It's not like you paid. You didn't pay to support it. You were free. But. Um, but but it was a weird scene, man. I mean, it, it, it the band was really good, but we hung out with all these circus people after, and it's a weird scene, man. It's a weird scene, and I'm, I hope to be able to work it into the show somehow. But please oh, do. Please. That, that that sounds like it'd be amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I did I did love how you worked in your uh, one of your jokes that you wrote uh, in one of your strips about the blue and the yellow and the green people oh, yeah. and where are these these different colored people i it was so because as the guy was saying it on t on the show i was like oh i remember reading this in this trip you know however many years ago it's so fun to yeah see you work that stuff in so i hope you yeah, do. yeah yeah no that it's really great that when people recognize like all the little sort of the longer you know have known me the more that you'll get of the inside stuff so there are a lot mm -hmm. of strips if you know me from boston you'll get some Boston jokes. If you know me from San Francisco, you'll hear the San Francisco joke. Cartoonists and, and cartooning. It's it's really nice to hear from people who 
feel like it's like the most realistic depiction of a cartoonist, <laughs> which is kind of funny because the whole syndicate thing is sort of really fictionalized, like, you know, where you're sitting in this office and they're telling you all this and showing you products and stuff. It's not very realistic, but it was kind of fun to do it. So Keith, we do have to wrap it up here, but something we do on our show with every artist we have is we always ask them, what is your recommendation for our audience to read? Usually a comic book. Uh, is there any sort of comic book that you can recommend? I always bring this on every guest. I never let them know ahead of time. Okay. Um, you know. Uh, and it doesn't have to be superhero. It could be any comic book out there. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if, the, if there's something. Could be an Indiana Jones comic book. <laughs> I'm reading this um, this huge book gigantic book about the guy who who did crazy cat back in the day it's a new old school newspaper comic i don't know yeah if any anyone <laughs> perfect timing <Yeah. laughs> this guy was black but he passed he was very light-skinned so he passed and he said he was greek and he basically became the biggest cartoonist of his time and um Oh. And yeah, Ignatz, you know, Ignatz and Crazy Cat. Why can't I think of his name? I'm, I'm so. <laughs> I can oh, I know you're talking George about George Harriman. Yeah. George Harriman. George Harriman. Oh. Yeah. So I'm reading that book, and I, there's comics in it, but it's more of a, a, a book book. But the, the last thing I read was um, Josephine Baker's graphic novel. There's a graphic novel on Josephine Baker, who was this dancer from the Harlem Renaissance that went to Paris, and she became huge in Paris, like getting away from racism, racism in the U.S., I should say. But she danced in Paris, but she was also a spy for the French. And she became like basically this huge, huge star. And um, and it's a graphic novel uh, done by a French publisher that is it's it's really amazing. So, uh, I, you know, I'm into, you know, I'm into sort of Autobio and like sort of real stuff. Uh, yeah, real stuff. Not not the superhero. Not the superhero <laughs> stuff. That, so that woke yeah. shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, thanks for the thanks for the recommendation. I do want to mention um, on your website right now, uh, you still have them available. Your your 2021 calendars. Oh yeah. Still for sale. You still have those in yeah, stock. I'm I'm I just did filled a hundred orders over the past 24 hours. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right it's, uh, yeah. Uh, everyone can uh, go to kchronicles.com and we'll throw a link in there Yeah, and uh, check out Keith's. Yeah. K Chronicles. Thanks. Life's little victories, night lives, and toast and butter cartoons. And um, yeah, it's cool because the, there's so many more orders this year because of the show. Yeah. And it's neat. It's but I sign and number all the all the calendars, so it's good stuff. But do it. That's yeah. good. And then yeah, when they it, you'll sell them all and you won't have a bunch of calendars to give away halfway through next year. I know. Year. Well, right? I'm, I'm, I'm basically <laughs> I'm gonna burn any 2020 calendars I have left is like, yeah, oof, good idea. this is bad. Yeah. Let me also mention, you know, I, I, as for those of our listeners that know, I'm, I'm releasing my, my first Captain A-hole comic book in over 10 years, which is the guide to getting older. And we do have a variant cover of a Captain A-hole that Keith drew for me 
some years back. So excellent. I'm uh, I'm stoked to have you on the show and say thank you for 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 that. And it's been a real pleasure to just to talk it up with you, Keith. Thanks. Yeah, again. It has been. no, I appreciate it, you guys. It's uh, it's nice. It's nice to talk to somebody that I've known over the years. So like, you know, instead of like someone who's like, oh, you know, those basic, <laughs> those basic, where do you get your ideas? Like, you know, when did you start drawing and stuff like that? You yeah. Know? And yes. I, yeah. Uh, where does yeah. it, where does the journey begin, right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, that question. Yeah, that uh, question. <laughs> Whoever says yeah. that's an asshole, right, Mike? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's refreshing, and we got to also rewrite and uh, the, the past three <laughs> Star Wars. So that that was would not happen on a generic interview, which I'm sure you you might be getting sick of, but still are very appreciative of the fact that all oh, this is happening for you. So I'm so happy and proud of you. Thank you, man. I yeah. appreciate it. I yeah. appreciate it. And I just, and I just met you and I'm so happy and proud of you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but in all seriousness, if I can give my two cents, I, I do want to say thank you for coming on the show. Uh, it does mean a lot to me to have you on here, not only just because of your, of your stature, but just because of what your show means to a lot of people. And um, when I watched your show, it was, it, it hit me too in some places because I know people who have dealt with that. And uh, yeah, it was just nice to see see this representation again and um i think on my half and a lot of other people thank you so much for making this happen because it's something very special oh thank you i, I so appreciate it and yeah when i hear folks talk about stuff like that it just makes me when people say oh you know it's nice to feel seen because this has happened to me i've been in this situation but that's it like you know it's it's for me i've always when i set out to make the K Chronicles. I want to create a comic strip that makes me feel seen, like like it's a strip that I want to see. And with Woke, I wanted to make a show that I want to see that I, I haven't seen. And uh, so it's really nice to, to hear from folks like you guys and, and just from folks who just identify and say, thank you, thank you. And uh, I, I'm going to do my best to... to let's make it better in season two that's that's what i'm looking forward to absolutely uh, we cannot wait to watch that keith thank you again so much uh before we go can we get your instagram set up you know um <laughs> i think it's uh, yeah i am i am keith knight that's it i am keith knight it's so funny because t murph set it up for me he's like he's like you're not in on instagram he's like i said i i am on instagram but like I started up and I never do it. And he's like, I'm going to get you on Instagram. <laughs> so I am Keith Knight is my I Instagram. Am Keith Knight. Yeah. And, uh, awesome. yeah, yeah. Actually he's, he's, he's gotten me going and, uh, I'm also on Twitter, uh, at Keith Knight, which is the character's name in the show. And, um, and then kchronicles.com is my website, but I'm just about to launch a new one called keithknightart.com. That's gonna. Oh. I'm gonna start um, selling original art off of that. So um, look for that very soon. That is awesome. Thank you again so much, Mike. Thank you so much for being here as always. You are the glue to everything. And you know what? You just made it the Mike show again. So thank you. Mm, this was the Keith show. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was a Keith rewriting Star Wars show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you guys both so much, and to everybody as always, love each other, respect each other, and we'll see you guys next week. Thank you.